The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield. May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome to today's wonderful Main Street Vegan Academy program with a very, very special guest. We always like to do something special on our uh show that's a couple of weeks before Christmas break. And so today we have with us Reverend Shad Groverland. And Reverend Shad has just got unity to the bone. Now, I know some of you are unfamiliar with Unity, other than maybe listening to this program and some of the others on Unity Online Radio. But it's a beautiful, beautiful faith tradition that's got some vegetarianism and animal rights very deeply in its roots. That's really why this program exists and uh, why that we're going to be talking with Reverend Shad today. So let me tell you just a little bit more about my guest. He is the executive director for Unity Worldwide Ministries. Now, that's the organization that oversees all Unity education and over 600 ministries around the world. Now, he was born and raised in Unity, and I'll share with you, Chad, I was kind of raised in it, but not born in it. I'll <laughs> tell you that little story. And, and he is really up on the history and the traditions and the principles, including the vegan lifestyle encouraged by its founders. Welcome, Reverend Shad Groverland. Thank you. It's fantastic to be here. It's so wonderful to be with you. I know you were a big hit at the Vegan Spirituality Retreat back in October that was held at Unity Headquarters, and I got to see some of that via Zoom, even though I wasn't there in three dimensions, but I think we're going to be doing it every year. So who knows? Yeah, More to come. Good to see you next year. Thank you so much. So, Shad, to get us started, for people that don't really know anything about Unity, you want to give us just a little tutorial? Okay, I'll try to make it a little tutorial. <laughs> uh, well, we have a, a woman named Myrtle Fillmore, who in the late uh, 1800s, she was uh, diagnosed with tuberculosis. And she was seeking to 
remove that uh, situation from her life. And she was going around listening to different talks and seminars, and she stumbled upon one that said the affirmation, I'm a child of God, do not inherit sickness, do not inherit disease. So she started working with that affirmation, and after two years, she heard her, healed herself of tuberculosis. Her husband, Charles, watched her go through that process and was amazed at what he saw and began to sort of dive into the science and the psychology and the uh, power of the mind to be able to heal the body. And so then the two of them started diving into this world and they looked at science of mind and divine science and different new thought modalities that were coming out around that time. Uh, and over a series of years, they realized they had their own uh, take on what this whole healing power of the mind was. And they found that it was rooted in the Bible and the teachings of Jesus. And they found that they were going back to the original or, or the way that Jesus actually lived, as opposed to the Christianity or the religion that came out of Jesus. They're looking at the teachings that he was actually teaching at that time, what they meant, what they said. They found there was a lot deeper meaning going on there for modern day lives, not just something that happened back then. And they really took to heart the fact that Christ told us that greater things we could do than Jesus has done. So they, uh, so they built a movement out of that. It grew and grew and grew. It's based here out of uh, Kansas City, Missouri. And uh, an aspect of that is uh, diet, which I'm sure we'll get into. But that organization is uh, collectively called Unity Today. It has different branches under different names. And I'm overseeing the branch called Unity Worldwide Ministries, you said, which specifically has the education seminary aspect to it and the ministries and leaders around the world that are ordained and credentialed by us. So it was really a movement that was spawned out of healing. And so what does that mean today? I think the, the, in the 1890s, that was kind of pre-antibiotics and medicine had traditionally done a lot of things that were really iffy. I was reading not long ago about how at one period it was standard to give people mercury vapors and uh, <laughs> that just, you know, affected the brain, I mean, very, very bad idea. And so I think that the idea of spiritual healing was, was very much more acceptable when the alternative was so unacceptable. And now, you know, it's a little different. Where do we put spiritual healing in 2021, nearly 2022? Well, you ask uh, any individual in unity and you're going to get a different answer. So I can give you the answer from my perspective. In my experience, I look at the teachings that Charles and Myrtle were uh, giving us in that period from the late 1800s to uh, the 1940s. And I don't see those as time specific teachings. They were tapped into something that transcends time. And we, Jesus talked about the, the, the message that transcends time. They talked about the message and the truth that transcends time. So the message wasn't really locked into what was happening in the 1920s. I'm sure it might have been affected by it, 20s, 10s, 20s, 30s, 40s, all that might have been affected by that. But the teachings and the principles and the truths they were talking about were ones that transcended time. And really that is that we do have this power in our own consciousness to heal and manipulate the body that we are in and the circumstances around us. Now, to what degree we have that ability, of course, is dependent on our own spiritual unfoldment. So we don't go out and say, all right, everyone, you know, give up your medication, stop going to doctors, you can do this with your consciousness. No, that would be, uh, that would be uh, immature of anyone really to say that or think that. It's a, a process of unfoldment. So we have these tools today, which are wonderful tools to help us with healing and uh, with life as we live it. 
but they really talked about this really uh, powerful goal we can reach towards. So nobody's walking on water today, but Christ talked about we should be able to do greater works than even Jesus did. So we look at this really high spiritual attainment we can work towards. And we're not going to say that anyone's sitting there right now and looking down at other people and saying, oh, you failed, you've come up short, that each of us is at a certain stage of development. That development does move us to a place where ultimately we do have the consciousness, the spiritual power, the direct connection with God that's moving in and through us to really do magnificent things. And I think a lot of times we sell ourselves short by saying, well, we can't do this, we can't do that, or we need an expert who does this because only they have the ability to do that. At a certain level of spiritual development, that's very true. But there is a level of spiritual development where we have the power to do basically anything. You're unlimited. If we truly are children of God, as Merle and Charles talked about over and over again, if we could really get into the place and the reality and the understanding and belief that we are actually children of this divine power, of course, we'd be limitless in ability. That's so cool. And I know you've mentioned Jesus a couple of times, and a lot of people feel that anybody that uses that name believes that everybody who sees things differently is bound for a really difficult eternity. What's Unity's view on the interfaith situation? Well, that's what's really magnificent about Unity, uh, and that's partially what the name, how it came about, and what it refers to is the fact that we look at all of the similar aspects of all religions. You know, we have the golden rule in basically every faith on the planet. We look at these similarities instead of trying to find the differences and saying because of those differences, you're wrong and we're right. We say that's not the path we're going down. Everyone's got a path to the divine and unity honors that. We're not trying to say that any path is wrong and that our path is right or that your path leads to hell and our leads to heaven. Unity looks at there are so many paths to the divine and some paths resonate, resonate with different people, depending on where they are on the process or how they were brought up or where their consciousness is or what it works with. So unity might be a wonderful, great fit for somebody. You might have someone who is Episcopalian that works for them or a Buddhist or a Taoist, whatever it might be. All of these are paths to the divine. We're not gonna shame or try to put one down over the other. We recognize that they all have incredible value in their core they're all working, spiraling us up towards the divine in their own special little way. I love that. So now, Shad, tell us a little bit about yourself. You grew up in unity. Did you grow up vegetarian? So I grew up with uh, my father, the minister, Jack Roblin, still ministering in Boulder, Colorado, with my mother, Norma, and my sister, Sensitia. And uh, we grew up eating little meat. Uh, in the beginning, occasionally we were eating meat, and, uh, but we weren't eating a lot of red meat. We were eating chicken and fish. And uh, I don't know how it came about. I was probably about 12 years old. My father actually one Sunday, this would be about the time the book Diet for a New America came out. I'm not sure if you remember that, but sure. I'm sure you do. Uh, that came out and my father gave a talk about that book on a Sunday morning. Wow. I was the sound engineer for our church. So I was, like it or not, had to listen to every single talk he gave because I was getting paid to sit there and do that. And uh, I heard that talk and it shifted something in me. It shifted relationship between what's going in my mouth and what I believe about the world. I truly believe in oneness. I was raised in this concept of oneness, that there is no separation between me and a chicken, me and a fish, me and a tree, that there is this aspect of oneness. But I had put a block in my consciousness between 
oneness with people and oneness with creatures, that there really was any difference between that. So that talk really called out my own consciousness and the whole family sort of at that point took a shift towards vegetarianism. Um, some of us shifted further than others, but that's still a part of uh, a lot of what we do. So everyone's on different paths at this point in our family. I'm the most strict vegan out of the family at this point in time. But uh, for me, that journey uh, only got further down that path of what is my relationship to the world? How do I live affect everything that's around me? So I'm also sort of in a way a minimalist. I live in a tiny home. I drive an electric car. I've just gone further and further down this path of what is my impact on the world around me? And can I always do a little bit more to have less of a negative impact and more of a positive impact in that way? What a beautiful story. I love that. I'm also interested in how you phrased uh, a question that you sent to me about the, um, the, the founders. And, you know, they weren't vegan because nobody had heard of vegan, but they were pretty darn close. So what was their history with that? And then what happened? I have a lot of people listen to this program and they'll say, I went to the Unity Church in my town and nobody, <laughs> nobody was into this, this vegan thing like me. So uh, tell us all about that. Uh, so you look at what happened to them. They were early on in this movement and they were, you know, they were basically eating a standard American diet like the rest of us that were raised with. They were eating meat, they were us, but they're doing this work around this healing and consciousness and this connection and empathy with everything that was around them. And what happened was they actually had one of their staff members who was a Seventh-day Adventist. They invited him over for dinner and he came to dinner and uh, they brought out the food and I don't know what specifically it was, a pork roast or a steak or whatever it was. And he was shocked because he had been working with them for quite some time. He knew their message inside and out. And as a Seventh-day Adventist, he wasn't eating meat. And he basically called them out at the dinner table. How can you possibly talk about oneness with all life? And yet you're doing this at the dinner table. And uh, that, was a, that was a big shock to them because they got called out in that moment. And that's when their shift happened for them. That, that he really he, he spoke to the principles and then how that stitched in line with the principles for them in that moment from that perspective. So then that's when the movement shifted. They really took a, a pretty strong line for how we treat animals in that respect. So they didn't have the word vegan at that time, but when we look at what they were doing, we would say that they're living a vegan lifestyle. Uh, they were publishing a Bible that was entirely vegan, it wasn't bound by leather or any uh, animal products. And they are specifically promoting that as a cruelty-free Bible. And they are really working to not have any uh, meat on property. And there's a story that goes around. I haven't actually seen this story written anywhere, but I've seen people, everyone tells this story a little bit different way, that Charles went to a picnic. The whole staff and Merle, everybody went to a picnic. And at that picnic, they were serving hot dogs. And different people say it was a different meat, but for the sake of this story, it was hot dogs. And he, he was so upset, he took one of the hot dogs and nailed it to a tree. We don't know if that was in reference to Christ's crucifixion or where he was going with that, but this, it was a very real part of their lives. And Charles talks about that what we eat, the energy of what we eat, we're consuming the consciousness of what that is. And that if we're consuming the consciousness of an animal that was suffering, we're consuming that consciousness of suffering, it's becoming a part of us. 
that was very much a part of their movement. And when they, um, as far as we know, as far as I've read, I'm not the foremost authority on all things unity, but as far as I've read, Myrtle never gave up uh, that diet and that belief. She held to that until her, her passing. Charles later in life, uh, sometime in his 80s, actually went back to eating uh, fish and eggs and uh, uh, milk, added that to his diet. And if, if you don't mind, I'd like to read something where he actually himself talks about why he went back to that. Would that be okay? Yeah, I've always wondered about that. And I see we have, we have a, a visitor, Reverend Carol Saunders, and she might want to address it too after you read it. She's probably quite familiar with this. So I'm just going to read this. This is in his own words. He says, for many years, I was very strict vegetarian, abstaining wholly from milk, eggs, butter, in fact, every form of animal products. Then came a period in which I had unusual platform work to do, in which I had to meet and shake hands with hundreds of persons. This sometimes made me nervous and irritable, and I was shown that my vibration was not strong enough physically to meet and hold my own against the flood of eager souls who were charged with animal impulses, and that I would have to either quit my public work and become a recluse, or build up a body that would hold its own with other bodies of like character. I then began to eat certain animal products like butter, milk, cheese, eggs, but never meat. So we look at what he's saying right here, and he's really talking about the energetic effect of what we eat. And he was surrounded by people that were eating something of an energy that his body no longer was resonating at, and his body was reacting to that energy. So hundreds of people have this energetic uh, flow about them that his body no longer resonates with. So he's, he's losing energy, he's losing uh, consciousness, he's losing focus in this process. And for me, and this is just my interpretation of the events, I would say he really took one for the team at that point. He could have gone the spiritual path and said, uh, I've so removed myself from the energy of this uh, thought system that I would have to now become a recluse and go meditate in a cave or you know, that spiritual step where we just completely remove ourselves from society. But he saw that he still had work here to do. So instead of removing himself from this work that we call unity and taking his spiritual journey to be just for him and his own evolution, he decided to shift his diet to better match what was happening in the energetic fields around him of the people that he was working with in the public so that his body would basically be able to um, combat or withstand that same animal energy. And he talks about that animal energy that we consume, that energy. It's got an energy to it. and His body no longer had that energy in it. So it was being sort of uh, drained by it in that process. So that began his path back towards milk, dairy, cheese, uh, and then eventually he talks about he went to fish. So for me, my own little interpretation, that was really him saying, I'm going to stick around and continue this work. And for me, I have to go back into this, this energetic field to be able to do that work with uh, this group of people. Well, Reverend Carol Saunders, as we said, has joined us. She is an expert on uh, the, the teachings of Charles Fillmore in the area of, of uh, animals and vegetarianism and she is also a unity minister and an interfaith minister in her own right hi reverend carol hello victoria <laughs> so what do you think about all this you know what my question is because i've heard this this idea before that when you're vegan you're just so pure and vibrating at such a high level that you can't do regular things in the world in fact 
when Muhammad Ali was still fighting, I did a fast uh, with Dick Gregory in, in Atlanta, and, and they kept us all sane because we weren't eating anything by having celebrities do conference calls with us at night. And I remember one night the celebrity was Muhammad Ali and somebody asked him when he was gonna stop eating meat. And he said, when I get out of this violent business. And that always made a lot of sense to me until now when we've got, you know, mixed martial artists and, and we've got, you know, all these tough people who are out there doing all kinds of tough things. So uh, what do you make of it all? Yeah, actually, that's the first time I've heard that chat. I don't. I, I kind of got on a little late, so I'm not sure where that came from. Um, <laughs> that comes from the dissertation of 1939. Okay, I was just reading um, some of the Unity magazine back in. Oh, I don't remember the date. Uh, 1913 or something like that, when they had started the Pure Food Company, the Unity Pure Food Company. I'm sure I had the date wrong. But it said specifically when the Fillmore started that company, they were they were advertising it as there are no animal products, not no animal fats, not even butter. So that was something that they had at least started out with with the Unity Food Company, which was supposed to be kind of a compliment to the the restaurant and the cookbook and all that. And it was intended to help people, you know, find all these replacements to all of the kinds of foods they had. Um, so I, I came on a little late, but it sounds like that was Charles's way of explaining or talking about how he went back to consume. Yeah, in his 80s when he went back. And we and I really like to look at the, the chronological uh, formation of our movement. And you look at that, that, that's now a time where Myrtle's not there. That support system of Myrtle is no longer yeah. there, which really was the, the impetus, the beginning, the spiritual powerhouse of unity. She had passed by that time. He's now in a second marriage. And nothing I've read so far shows that she was actually vegetarian or vegan either. So his support system was likely very much gone at that time, his partner in this journey uh, yeah. to go to that process. And you know, we didn't necessarily know at the time, like you pointed out, Victoria, the, the vitamins and the minerals and the different things that we need to keep the body going and all the knowledge we have today that you could have a UFC fighter that's huge and muscular and ripped and they're you know all vegan i don't know if they would have pulled that off at that time to know what to eat how to eat when to eat it, those sort of things so charles is working with the knowledge we had in the 40s you know at least yeah. coming out of the knowledge of the 30s and this was his uh calling this is a direction he felt he needed to go in to keep the work going on we're also talking about he's going into his 90s so he's really up in years at that time but it's it, you really look at where is he in that slice of time well, for decades and decades and decades, 50, 60, 70 years, they were vegan through this whole time and doing incredible work. And I see it as his support system was really going away at that time yeah. to do that work. That makes so much sense because, you know, he was an incredible human being, an amazing philosopher, a mystic, and he was also human. And I would say that almost everybody I've ever known who stopped being vegan it was because of a relationship. And they might say it was something else, but if you really dig, it was because of a relationship because we want to be accepted. So it seems like the more vegans we can make, the more vegans we'll keep. <laughs> so uh, Carol, we've got just about um, three minutes and until break, you're welcome to stay longer if you like, but I would just love to hear 
a little dialogue from you and Shad, since you're both such experts on all this. What are you thinking? We're we've we've talked crime. most about history. You know, we haven't talked about what's going to happen going forward. We'll do that in the second half. But, well, I'll just say that um, Shad spoke at the Vegan Spirituality Forum and Retreat in October, the first ever at Unity Village, and just really blew everyone away. Everyone was so inspired, mostly because, Shad, you spoke with such integrity and conviction and strength. And it wasn't like you were just talking about veganism or anything. You were really holding to uh, creating a vision for what's possible for unity. And you also are firmly rooted in the roots of the Fillmore's and unity. And so it's really inspiring to have a leader like Shad uh, right now at this time in the movement. I'm real excited about it. Yeah, I think if, what drives me is not really just even the aspects of veganism, but it was really the aspects of the authenticity of our founders and right. that they set a really high spiritual bar for all of us to reach towards. And that that is something that I feel we really, really need to return to in our movement. We have incredibly powerful, beautiful, amazing spiritual people in our movement. But as a whole, I think we, we can return to looking at where is it they had intended us to be? We've done phenomenal things, but where was their vision? Where would they like to have you know, grown to today? It's still really far from where we are. I mean, they healed themselves of their, of their ailments. Charles lengthened the, uh, the length of his leg through his lifetime that he had injured and shortened. So they were doing this practice and they were healing people around them. There was a lot of healing going on. And they, as I see it, saw us doing the same thing, but even increasing the power of that healing of the consciousness and the body with our mind, that we'd be doing that today. So I think really bring, uh, bringing them up into the present, the practices they had into the present. Sure, we've got science and technology now, but that doesn't supersede our abilities that were always there. They can support those, but they shouldn't supersede or replace those. And that's where I think we're having this shift right now. To go back to, yes, Technology is great, science is great, but don't forget the power you've had since the very beginning. What a wonderful place to stop as we go to our, our break. And I do want to make an announcement because always on this show, just before our break at the end of the year, I share the most popular episodes of the previous year. So we've got four that got the most attention and listens and all that. And the first one was March 24th. That was about the book Brother Vegan, Black Men Speak on Food, Identity, Health, and Society. And you mentioned uh, our friends of Seventh-day Adventists. The guests in that program were Omawali Adewali, who was editor of the book, and two Seventh-day Adventists, Dr. Milton Mills, who's a medical doctor, and Dr. Kevin Jenkins, who is uh, an SDA clergyman. So check that one out in the archives, March 24th. And in the meantime, stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a new and empowering lens through which to view your life and your health? Then register now for Get Healthy with Sound, 
a weekend workshop with Eileen McCusick, an innovator in the fields of therapeutic sound, electric health, and the human biofield, May 24th to 26th at Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn easy and accessible techniques to reduce stress, improve focus, and increase energy. Learn more today at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to this episode of the Main Street Vegan program. And I am going to tell you about another wonderful episode from the previous year. And it was a really recent one, November 10th. It was Moby and Simone Reyes. And Moby, we all know, legendary musician, got a new cookbook out, the Little Pine Cookbook. And Simone Reyes is is an animal rights activist that I just hope in my next life I can be as cool as she is in this one. And now, in addition to all she's doing for animals, she is a country singer. So we had a little treat with that one. And she actually um, sang us a song. Well, it was recorded, but it was very cool. So that'll be a fun one to look up as well. And I also just want to make a quick announcement of something coming up. And that is December 26th, Boxing Day, if you're in the U.S. Okay, it's a two day holiday over there, Christmas and Boxing Day, but we're going to celebrate at the Compassion Consortium, which is an interfaith spiritual gathering of people who care about all beings. So four o'clock Eastern time on Sunday, December 26th, absolutely free, but you do need to register at compassionconsortium.org. And our special guest that day is going to be Keith Akers, who is going to be talking about the vegetarianism in early Christianity. And of course, address the question that always comes up, was Jesus vegetarian. So please check that out. December 26th, compassionconsortium.org. And now back with our wonderful special guest, Reverend Shad Groverland, Executive Director for Unity Worldwide Ministries, and our pop-in guest that we always love. She's been with us several times before, Reverend Carol Saunders. She is up there in Wisconsin, carrying the message in the Northland. So during the break, Reverend Shad, you made a comment on Charles Fillmore's return to the lacto-ovo-vegetarian side. <laughs> and what was that? I didn't say the dark side here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I want to stress, in the spiritual path, you begin to realize that nothing is ever wrapped up in a perfect box. And there's almost an element to spirituality that's going to constantly make you have to decide for yourself. It's never handed to you in a perfect package and said, this is the only way it's going to work. And so like anything else, when you start to research our great heroes, they were flawed individuals that were doing the best they can with what they had. So we look at Charles Fillmore in the later years of his life, 
he was doing the best he can with what he had. And at that time, he was struggling with focus. He was struggling with energy. He was struggling with getting the work done that he needed to get done. And as he says it, spirit spoke to him and said, you need sulfur. That's when he actually eventually went to eating fish. He was just eating eggs, he was doing milk. His consciousness said, you need sulfur. And fish was where he decided that he was gonna get that sulfur from. I know today we could find probably thousands of sources to get that sulfur. But we look at, he didn't at that point announce, we now negate the decades of work we've done in vegetarianism and veganism. It was still very much a part of what unity was at that time. What he was doing was making a decision for himself in that moment that was working for him based on where he was and what he was doing. And so in that moment, as I said earlier, I really believe he made the decision to adjust his vibration, be able to continue the work he was doing with other people in that level of vibration. And potentially, had he not done that, he could have elevated himself to enlightenment out of this body and moved on. Now, this is all completely conjecture from Shad's consciousness, not based on a historical fact or record from Charles Fillmore or anyone else around him. But we look at Myrtle did not give up on this path. She very much reached a level of spiritual enlightenment, I would say, was uh, equivalent to the gurus and saints and sages. And Charles on his deathbed, he had believed he was going to transcend death, that he was going to turn his body into a light body that would not die, it would never decay, and he would live forever. And on his deathbed, he even said, well, I guess I didn't do it. And we could see that, well, maybe it's he made this choice to stay in the physical, to go back to the physical path, as opposed to allowing that arc of the spiritual path, which would have taken him out of the physical experience. So we can look back on it, we can all make our own little story. But the point is, that does not negate all the work they've done, all the publication we've done in Unity, everything that we've come to, and that the teachings speak to without question, that there is a oneness in all of life, and that we really don't have a right to do harm to another being for no reason. And, and that's where I think it comes back to that nobody wants to actively harm animals. I don't know if I've ever met anybody who wants, says, yes, I want to harm animals. I want an, an animal to suffer for me. They don't know, they don't say that. But it's just that disconnect. And it was the same disconnect I had when I was young. But until we built that bridge, we don't necessarily see that. And that doesn't make a bad person. And that doesn't mean that someone's eating meat is doing something wrong, they're doing something bad. They are making a choice for their life based on where their consciousness is at that time. And that might be the best for them at that time. I can't speak to people's choices. And if I did, then I'm not speaking the union message either. Each of us are where we are, where we need to be in this time. And the choices we're making are serving the experience we're having. There are other choices we can make. There are other options out there. That's why I encourage people to be exposed to a lot of things. Do not shut down the information. Do not shut down hearing about the suffering. Do not shut down hearing about what actually brings a pig onto your table or a cow onto your table and say, I don't want to hear it. That's, I don't want to hear that stuff. Well, that's creating a block between the potential for information that might be useful in your life. That's not necessarily fair. If you've been exposed to it, you understand what's happening. You still continue that choice. That's your choice. But when we put a block up, which we're seeing so much in the world today, people saying, ah, I live this way. Don't talk to me. I don't want to hear that. That I think is the problem. 
Well, there's a phrase in 12 steps, principles before personalities that I think is really powerful. And also Reverend Carol, we definitely need to take care of ourselves and outlive our husbands because it sounds like that if the vegan spouse dies, Lord knows what the man will start eating. <laughs> I do think that, I do think that what Chad said about having, having the bar high, you know, regardless of how, how these leaders or heroes in our minds lived and, but if we all have, have the bar high, like we're, we're, we, we may, we may be doing our best at the time we are in our life and considering all of the circumstances, but the vegan bar is an ideal and, and it's something to strive for in addition to other high, high bars. But so there's, there's no, there's no need to like, Chad says to, to feel like these people are doing wrong or bad or anything like that. You can be where you are and still say, this is the bar. This is where I want to go. And, and that's the, 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 what we hold as our potential for our spiritual communities just to hold that bar high and say, this is where we think the ideal is. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. I love the idea of aspiration. Like what else is there if you don't get up in the morning and aspire to more than you did yesterday? So Reverend Chad, you had another interesting question. You really came up with some goodies. How does diet affect your spiritual practice? Yeah, that's a big one. I did a, uh, I have my own podcast I do called Less Serious with a friend of mine, Melissa. And we did one on uh, veganism, vegetarianism and diet. And this is a question that I've, I've sort of battled with in my own consciousness my whole life is, do you have to give up eating meat to become more spiritual? And of course, I come from a strong bias that I have given up eating meat. So of course, from my bias, I'm going to think, well, yes, because I must be more spiritual. And that's my ego speaking. I've done the things that make me more spiritual. And so I win. But the spiritual consciousness within me says, you have to revisit that. And consciousness says, you have to revisit that. You have to revisit that. And so now I say, I, don't, I can't say whether you do or you do not have to give up meat to become more spiritual. I just don't know how you can be more spiritual and still eat meat. From my experience, as I've grown in empathy and I've grown in compassion, I've grown in spiritual awareness, I for myself, and again, I can only speak for myself, have just had so much more of a connection of the energy of what's happening in the world around me. And I feel the suffering that's happening in the animal kingdom. I feel the suffering of the slaughterhouses. I feel the suffering of the, uh, the animal that's being attacked by an element it doesn't even know exists, which is a, a person eating that meat on the other side of the planet, whatever that means. I feel that. And from my own experience, I don't know how I could be in the place I am and still try to eat meat, feeling that energetic process happening within me. And I can only, again, speak to my experience I don't know how I could be where I am if I hadn't given up meat. That doesn't mean that someone else can't be far superior spiritually than I am and still eat meat, which there absolutely are people that eat meat are far superior to me in spirituality. I don't think I'm the most spiritual person even in this room. It's just from where I am in the development and the process I'm going through, I don't know how I would have gotten here had I continued to eat meat just from my experiences and my, my practice. And your experiences and practice are valid and important. And we mentioned Moby, and I want to share something from him because he kind of takes a little bit of maybe a harder line approach, but it's a cool quote. He said, 
it's really hard, impossible even, to care about climate change, workers' rights, human health, spiritual growth, and the environment while contributing to the deaths of one trillion innocent animals every year. Hopefully, the progressives and spiritual people will wake up and start to live according to their purported values. Now, I know a lot of spiritual people believe that's our job to get out there and change the world, make things better. I think unity is a little bit more. You take care of your own consciousness and you let the world rise because of that. Where are you on all this, Reverend Carol? It's really interesting. I, I, do, I do agree that your own consciousness is the one thing you have control over. So it's, it's important to remember that's the one thing you have control over. So I can't change anybody, but I can, by my own energy and my own consciousness, I can, I can influence people or I can uh, inspire people. Um, that being said, there's the world out there <laughs> and you know, we're, we're in it. And so we, I, I think it's a polarity. I think we have to hold the individual journey and also hold that we are ambassadors in the world. And so um, be, being active in the world and, and being aligned with our values, I think is very important for our own spiritual integrity. So I, I kind of think we're all on the same page here. If we look at, if, if, we're, if we're feeling the suffering, if we're seeing the damage, then we have to act in accordance. I can't make another do that, but I can do what I can to see what opening they have to, to, for the possibility of just a glimmer of expanding their consciousness and seeing something new, seeing something different. And I'm constantly doing that, looking for the little places where I can let maybe plant a seed because I think we're also, you know, Johnny Appleseeds. I think we need to go be planting seeds of consciousness within people and then allow spirit to do the rest of the work. Lovely. I just want to ask about people who are in religious or spiritual groups, whether it's unity or a yoga ashram or a synagogue or wherever it is, and they're just not quite getting the love for their vegan side, for their animal side. So what, what, do, what does somebody do in a situation like that? And I'll bet the three of us have all been in those kinds of spiritual circumstances. Well, I, I would just want to jump back for a second and address that our founders came up with 20 or 32 statements of faith. These were sort of the core fundamental things they believed to be true about unity. And statement of faith number 28, in essence, says, until we address our relationship to animals and heal that, all other things on this planet will be in discord. We will have war. We'll have inhumane act of man against man, people against people. They say, until that is addressed, all these other issues will remain a problem. So it goes back to Moby's quote that, yes, there's all these other issues going on, there's so much going on. But even for the Fillmore's perspective, when they wrote that, it's, this is the primary issue. As long as you are choosing to allow harm to happen to another being, that just turns into a logarithmic scale that launches harm into all other aspects of life. So, I mean, that is very much a part of unity principle. It's not necessarily what everyone believes in unity today, but that was written at that time. And I hold to the power that they presented in that moment. What was your next question? I totally forgot. 
So, so somebody is there oh, right. going Experience. to unity. They're going to the Catholic church. They're going wherever they go, but they're the only vegan and they go down for coffee after the service. And maybe every once in a while, somebody brings some soy milk, but not very often. What do you do to just not be discouraged? Well, I'll speak uh, for myself. I was raised in unity. I've seen that many unity churches. I travel when I speak and I'm vegan. And for us to explain when I'm coming to a ministry that I'm vegan, I still, that's not necessarily always an option when I get to a unity ministry and I'm executive director of unity worldwide ministries. And that's still a struggle to get even a vegetarian meal when I, when I travel. So that's a thing, but that's not a conscious choice on anyone's part to do harm to me. It's just an unconscious act that we have been trained by society to be a part of. Uh, just like we talked about the unconscious bias of racism, it's the unconscious bias of meat. No one knows, or most of us don't know that we're part of a meat bias in our society and it exists. So it's just as much as it's unrealistic for a person of color to walk into a primarily white church and expect everyone there all of a sudden to understand the needs of a person of color. It's the same scenario for a vegan to walk into any place of faith and expect that everyone there is gonna understand the needs of that person's uh, dietary choices and beliefs about oneness. And we have to remember, we all have our issue that we think is the most important thing on the planet. I think veganism is incredibly important, but the person next to me, for them, it might be you know, the rights of Latinos, or it might be women's rights, or it might be the rights of open spaces. And they're upset that this church doesn't do a lot more activity to preserve open spaces. I mean, we all have the thing we're passionate about. And that's where the word of unity really comes in. We have to come in together as people and recognize we all have a different perspective. It's a perspective and we have to learn to live together. And if we come in with our perspective and think it's the right one, even if on some ethereal level, it is the right one, you just can't live that way because that only creates conflict. The humility is coming in and saying, I'm just a student to learn in every scenario. And the best I can do to teach others is to live the highest and best of myself, like Carol is saying. And if that rubs off on other people and they go, hey, what's working for you? You look great. You look energetic. Your skin looks amazing. You go, oh, I happen not to eat meat. And they go, oh, I didn't know that was a thing. That's more powerful than me shaming or getting upset at other people that are eating meat around me. It's just to say, this is a choice I'm making. It's worked incredibly well for my life. And I just live that life. I think it's very hard for some of us who are, are vegan for the animals to feel like, how long did they have to wait? I feel like I can wait. You know, I don't have to have everybody agree with me, whether it's politics or something else. But I just feel like I owe it to these animals to do what I can to speed it up, if it's even possible. Carol? Yeah, I hear you. It's, it's really interesting as, as you asked that question, I had a lot of stuff kind of come up for me, uh, just my childhood. And I, I think it's, I, I think I'm conditioned to, I have been for decades to, no matter how different I am or her, whatever I want to just kind of let that kind of be quiet, let everybody else do their thing. And I'll go be quietly do my vegan thing over here. It's really only been in the last 10 years that I've found my voice and I'm stepping up and speaking, you know, for the animals, but there's also this, uh, this 
defense mechanism I have to just be okay. They've got their buffet. I'll just kind of do my thing. So you have to always remember what, what it's all about. I do kind of like taking the Harry Met Sally approach. You know, remember that scene in Harry Met Sally where she's, <laughs> she's having her, <laughs> her experience Happy at the meal. diner and, and the woman says, I want what she's having. <laughs> It would be great if all of us spiritual vegans could just shine our light and just be so incredibly amazing that everybody wants what we're having. And that is what we're not having. We're not having the animals. Um, but I think we all, we all get very frustrated. I think the frustration for me comes from my own judgment, my own judgment of people. I can, I can feel it. I can feel it in my gut, my own judgment that, hey, you believe these things. You're all about love and oneness and and light and connection and kindness and yet you're doing these things and so i i try my best to just uh wherever i can to educate people about the suffering of the animals with the intention and hope that they can bring that in, that into their value system um and so I, again, I just look for the opportunities to have one-on-one -on -one conversations and not make a big deal of it at church, for example, but find the person I'm sitting next to in the potluck or somebody, you know, that I met in line, the greeting line or something and drop a little hint and drop a little something and, and see what I can do in a conversation um, because people are waking up one at a time. This is true. Well, I want to uh, mention someone who has really awakened a lot in, in this world. And one of the other shows from 2021 that I hope you'll want to go back and listen to or maybe re-listen to. And that was the April 28th episode with Rabbi Dr. Shmuley Yanklowitz. He is a modern Orthodox rabbi who donated a kidney to a stranger. And one of the favorite things that he says that I really love is it's fine to be spiritual and not religious, as long as your spirituality has rigor. I love that. Maybe I'm going to start reading that every morning for the month of January. So as we kind of wind down here, let's look ahead. We do have a new year coming. And so what are you seeing? You know, both of you are in unity. So you can talk there or you can talk bigger world. How are we going to effectively lift things up? Um, so for me, I'll speak to unity because that's what all I think about all day long. And thankfully, my wife is okay with that. <laughs> Um, we are all hypocrites. I am a giant hypocrite. And I think the more we accept we are hypocrites, the more we can work on being less hypocritical. And so even when I've, I've been a militant vegan at times, and I recognized after a while that all that did was make more people hate vegans and want to eat more meat. And it was doing the opposite, opposite of what I was trying to accomplish. And I was being a hypocrite because I was talking about compassion and love, and I was just angry with people. So I was being a hypocrite in that process. So what was the messaging I was put out there was be a hypocrite. So everybody was, yeah, okay, I can be a hypocrite too. I can do what I want. So we look at the, where we're trying to go. We're trying to create a more compassionate world, more empathetic world uh, for all creatures. So for me in unity, I look at, well, then we need to work on hypocrisy and we need to work on authenticity and everything else will fall into line. I don't have to worry about specifically this topic, that topic, that topic. If we can still start training and raising ourselves into a, a consciousness 
that is talking directly to spirit and is working directly with God, that compassion is infinite and it'll work out all the other issues we've been talking about. If we can call ourselves to look at our own hypocrisy and say, I don't wanna be a hypocrite. I'm gonna look at my own life and work at where I'm showing up as a hypocrite because I wanna be authentic and I wanna be spiritually authentic. Then I will start making choices that have to lead me towards more compassion, more empathy, more understanding. It'll just have to naturally unfold. You can't avoid it. So that's where I try to put more of my energy. I've thought about, oh, I need classes specifically teach this and teach that, do that. We really just need to start talking about authenticity and being willing to say, I'm a minister and I'm a hypocrite. And the areas I'm a hypocrite, I'm going to work really hard on those. And that's where we should be. That's so powerful and so humble and it's just no wonder that the powers that be have put you in this powerful position. So as you look at, at your, your world, the world of, of unity, I've heard that you're really wanting to focus on younger people. Do you think older people are just too stodgy? I kind of focus on older people because I am one. And I think there are ways to reach people of the older age group. But uh, who are you reaching and how are you doing it? Uh, we need everyone. And I remember uh, for Earth Day one year, in, uh, there was a projection I saw on a wall and it said, to change everything, we need everyone. So I think it's time to, speaking of authenticity, is to call our older generations into the reality that it's time to invest in the younger generations. If we wanna have a better world 10, 20, 30 years from now, the older generation who has the money is gonna end the time if they're retired or wherever they are, is going to have to be willing to have the humility to say, I need to create an experience for a younger generation that I myself may not currently enjoy. It's the whole planting a tree whose shade you'll never sit under concept. So when we look at ministry, we look at unity, it's us being able to do the work and use our funds and use our resources to create ministries that resonate with younger people, which are the type of ministries that older people most likely won't want to attend. So I all the time have congregations say, we want more young people. And I say, okay, would you all be willing to sit in the sanctuary with VR goggles on? And they all look at me and go, are you insane? And I go, then maybe you don't want young people because that's where we're going. That's what they want, the hybrid experience. That's, the, that's where we could be. So that's where we say, okay, well, would we invest in what the next generation is going to use to get in touch with spirit? Beautiful. That requires all of us. Thank you. I am so sorry to just stop you because I know that was mid-paragraph and I'm looking at this radio clock. The final show I want to tell people about was October 27th and talk about somebody young and fabulous, Ivana Lynch from the Harry Potter movies, talking about her memoir, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting, her recovery from eating disorders and her discovery of herself. Thank you so much, Reverend Shad Groverland. Thank you, Reverend Carol Saunders. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. God bless you, and Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.